Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session three, Cherishing the Chains, a meditation on the profound power and beauty of difficulty. Most of us, when we hear the word difficulty, the idea of difficulty, shy away and want to go as far away from it as we can get. I have had a tremendous amount of difficulty in my life. Uh, it's ironic. I grew up with a, in a rather simple, easy life. I remember talking with my roommate at college, like, yeah, I've really never had any challenges, any real issues. I mean, I could think back and drum something up, but compared to what most people dealt with in life, I couldn't even relate with it. And when I went to front lines for Jesus Christ and started talking straightforwardly about the cross and about the person of Jesus, I tell you what, I, I wasn't ready for what I was about to endure. And my mindset in and through the process was to complain. And to say, God, I think you're missing me in this whole thing. I've been praying. I've been living for you. I, I would expect that you would keep this away from me. And for those of you that understand how Christianity works, you recognize how ignorant that position is. It's like, Eric, these are the things that are going to build you. This is, this is good stuff here. Well, it was anything but good to me. And so I spent most of my younger years in ministry going through extreme disillusionment and pain. I, I was... I was rocked to the very bedrock of my existence. I, I never really came close to forsaking Jesus, but I wanted to forsake the church. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense to some of you. It's like, could I have you, Jesus, and somehow never talk to another Christian in my life? It was like a, a volatile, volcanic type of cynicism that I was seeing awaken within me. There was deep hurt, deep pain. I was struggling with fear, anxiety, uh, and over finances, over different things in my life. I was, I was just getting hit and hit hard. What I'm about to describe for you is very, very important for you to understand in the whole schematic of how triumphant Christianity works. First, you have to know what you've signed up for. And you need to understand that the impetus is not you. It's not your desire to do good deeds on planet Earth. You see, you may know intellectually that it is right to serve a Nika. But I'm not asking you if intellectually it is right. I'm saying, what is the Spirit of God saying within you and where is He pushing you? I want you not just to be willing, but ready to follow the lead of the Spirit of God in your life. Where He goes, you follow. And that is the critical thing I want to see cultivated in our midst. We are ready at a moment's notice to say yes to God. When it comes to difficulty... Many of us will say, yes, I'll say yes, and I'll go in this direction as long as. And then we have a little short list. As long as I'm protected from any harm, as long as I don't run into this type of challenge again. No, no, no. That isn't how it works. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you say yes to what comes with it. And that means difficulty. And I know I might be shooing away many of you from actually living fully for Jesus Christ by bringing it up. However... 
I think the opposite can happen when we as Christians boldly and bluntly declare how Christianity works. Because in the midst of the most difficult situations, you can be the happiest of people on planet Earth. So, let's go through our truth points. The first truth that we went through in the first message. The life of Christ is always aimed purposely and aggressively toward the lowest, most humble, and inconvenient place. And so must we purposely and aggressively aim our lives in this direction. Truth number two, the life of Christ vigorously pursues the freedom of the captives. As a shepherd, he sprints headlong into the wolf pack for the preservation of his sheep. Truth number three, so this is for this message. The life of Christ purposely snubs, ignores, and coolly glares at the voice of inconvenience. Yeah, it has a voice. You ever notice that? Oh, come on. You can't do that. That is completely irrational. It's a voice. That's the best way of describing it. So I even made it capital, sort of like it's a character. Glares at the voice of inconvenience. To Christ, inconvenience isn't a word in his vocabulary. He doesn't use it. He doesn't whip it out and say, oh, that's inconvenient. It's not even a word he refers to. The heavenly translation of the word is opportunity to rescue. Oh, no. And someone could say, that's inconvenient. No, no, no. That's an opportunity to rescue. So the key ideas, the upside-down kingdom and the behavior of living water, it seeks the lowest place. That's from session number one. Second session had the, the key idea of the sprinting shepherd. And now we're going to add two more. The behavior of living water. You can say, that sounds a little familiar. Yeah, but this is a different behavior of living water. And that is that it always heads heavenward. Isn't that a, a funny statement? You can say, I thought it always heads downward to the lowest spot. But yeah, I'll explain that in just a second. And then the power and beauty of the inconvenient. It doesn't sound very beautiful to me. Well, that's why we need to begin to think as God thinks. Remember the upside-down kingdom? God looks at these things exactly opposite of the way that we naturally look at them. So key idea number four, the behavior of living water. It always heads heavenward. The prison instruments. I don't know if you've ever heard me share this story. Uh, I think it was Richard Wormbrandt. Yes, I'm pretty positive it was Richard Wormbrandt was describing that when he was in prison, that the, it was such a delight to be in prison, as he would describe it. Your dreams are so beautiful. You dream more beautifully and in more color in, in prison. It's like, am I hearing this correctly? He's just like talking, yammering about enjoying prison. It's not that he enjoyed it physically, but there was a spiritual quality that he loved. And you'll hear that from many, many people who have suffered in prison, is that they are given a grace that is beyond what those of us that aren't in prison ever know and understand. And so one of the things he said is, and in prison, they gave us instruments with which we could worship and praise God. Like, what? The prison guards gave you instruments? That doesn't sound like a Romanian prison. And so then he went on to describe the instruments that they gave them. They gave them chains. They locked them down to the floor and gave them chains. But if you hit those chains together, they actually made wonderful instruments. And so the way he looked at it was the prison guards gave them instruments with which they could praise God. Who thinks that way? A Christian. You see, there's living water inside of us. And when that living water comes out, it comes to the lowest place. But guess where it also shoots? You see, it's a fountain. And the first place it shoots is upward. The term in scripture is agaleio. And I'll introduce you to this word, but it's an upward shooting of the fountain. It's oftentimes translated in the Greek as leaping for joy. Leaping. You get airborne. You go up. You see, everything that the devil is attempting to do in our life, what does it push us down towards? Despair, depression. That's what the enemy is doing. That is not a work of grace. That is not a work of the Spirit of God. 
It is a work of the enemy of our souls to try and defeat us. But the Spirit of God is always pushing up. We must agree with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has two agendas. Up, joy, rejoice, leap. And it also has the agenda of, and when that water begins to trickle down, where is it going to spread? It's going to go to the low place. And so this is the key dimension. For those of you that are under that oppression in your life, deliberately choosing to leap. Not because you feel like it, not because you want to, but because that's where the Spirit of God is going. You don't feel like giving up your life to serve the weak or the poor either. You don't do it because you feel it. You do it because the Spirit of God is leading you to that direction. And when you do it, then comes the joy. It's the strangest thing. But when you leap, then comes joy. I mean, it's so absurd that it must trigger some type of happy thing inside of us that we start laughing when we leap in the midst of difficult terrain and difficult circumstances. And the same is true when you begin to reach out to the Nikas, what happens? You begin to find a joy and a life and a love for the Nikas. It's an amazing thing when you come into agreement and congruent with the work of grace. There's a joy in prison. Who would have ever thought those chains are instruments? Who would have ever thought that that inconvenience is actually musical notes in my soul? Agaleio. There's our Greek word. Much leaping. A vigorous springing or gushing up of water. Exceeding joy. The upward push of the spirit life. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. By the way, the concept of even blessed is extremely happy and jubilant. Extremely happy and jubilant are you when you're persecuted and reviled. And you could be saying, uh, I don't feel very happy right now. You see, he's not describing how you would naturally feel. He's describing the heavenly pattern. And when you come into agreement with the heavenly pattern, there's an upward push. And so as a result, it really is true. You are extremely happy. In the midst of persecution? Yeah. In the midst of revilement? Yeah. And she'll say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Listen to this. Rejoice and leap upward. Be agaleo. Spring forth. Rejoice. Go upward. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Look at this in Luke. This is Jesus talking. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. You see, that's not the time when most of us are going to be feeling good about our day. We're hated? Oh, yeah, blessed are you when men hate you. Supremely happy. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice you in that day and leap for joy. Who does that? Who goes upward when everything in life is pushing down? Christians. This is how we behave. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, and for in the like manner did their fathers under the prophets. The crowbar. Now, I've likened men to a hammer many times. Now, I'd sort of like to liken us to a crowbar. Doesn't that sound pretty cool to be likened to a crowbar? A tool design, the tool designed for hard and inconvenient tasks. It's one of those things where, I mean, these are the projects where you can easily break a finger just trying to get this thing open. And so there's this thing known as the crowbar that crams itself in there and all the, the leverage and all the weight is put against it. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult position. And so could you imagine when I say, yeah, and that's what we're built for. We as the church of Jesus Christ are the ones that are called upon in the most difficult, most inconvenient situations that could break some fingers. And God sticks us 
into that little crack and leverages the church. That's what he does. We're the crowbar. Amen. It looks like a man, like uh, amen, but it's a space man. <laughs> a heaven-designed crowbar built for Earth's most difficult situations. I, I really like this idea of being a man. Okay, I really get excited about it. You see, the shepherd is the one who is built in that moment to tackle Goliath. He's built. You know that David was designed by God for that very moment? He wasn't just delivering bread and cheese. He was brought there by God to tackle the greatest warrior in his generation to take him down. That's why God had given him the tests and the opportunities, not the inconveniences. You know that it's an inconvenience when you're trying to take a nap and a lion comes after your sheep and grabs one of them? Well, that would be classified as inconvenient. However, that was training for David. How about when the bear comes? David's like, oh boy, I haven't gotten sleep in three days. He starts to lean, you know, go and close his eyes and start like, it's like, oh no. No, that training is what made him fit and ready. It's not inconvenience, it's opportunity. David is growing. He's growing stronger and stronger and stronger for the calling he has received. He has been built to protect sheep. He's been built to rescue sheep. How did it come? Through inconvenience? Sort of. Through opportunity. You see, it's not inconvenience. We need to twist this. It's not chains, it's instruments. It's not prison, it's an opportunity to share the gospel with a whole bunch of people who weren't expecting it. You got the whole barracks there when you're in the concentration camp. Everyone's crammed together, not one spare inch in the room, and guess what? You have what they need. God puts you right there. Sure, it's not comfortable. But Christianity wasn't meant to be comfortable. We go where the water goes. Watch you. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. You know, this is a command. And it's not just for men. If you want to say it this way, it's for the church, the mahore of God. We are all supposed to quit ourselves like men. What do men do? Well, we're the crowbar. So it's not just the men. You see, men are built for that difficult situation. And a woman, as hard as it might be, and as politically incorrect as it might sound, actually part of her role is to allow a man to be a crowbar in a situation where she might actually be a better crowbar. If you ever hear me talk about women, you'll, you'll note it. I'll, I'll make it very clear. Women can be the best warriors. You guys have heard about the Krav Maga champion, the little 90-pound woman who actually is considered the greatest martial art expert in the world. She took down the champion judo brothers in a matter of seconds and was ready to pluck out their eyes. Yeah, a little 90-pound woman. So it's not the statement that women are unable to be the crowbar. It's that they allow a man to stand in front. And if someone's going to get hit, they allow the man to do it. What does the bride do? We allow our groom, our king, our redeemer to get hit. In a sense, we accept that. You did that for me. And that's what the bride does. And so it's not that the women in here aren't meant to be crowbars. You are. Paul says it. Quit yourself like a crowbar. Be strong. Get into that crack and allow God to use you. Well, God, that could break my fingers. I know. God, that could break my life. I know. You've been given an assignment. March. Andrizomai. That's the word for quit you like men. It actually means be a man. There's actually a Greek word. Paul actually says it to the church at Corinth. Be men. Well, there's women in the church too. Yeah, be men. Be like the crowbar. Do the difficult tasks that no one on earth wants to do. 
Everyone else is running the other way. But where does the man go? A man goes straight into the battle. Everyone else is cowering before Goliath. What does the man do? He goes straight up against this. Is there not a cause? That's the man. The Christian man, the first one to step up and do that which is inconvenient. Ah. You see, we're the ones that are supposed to be the pace setters in a culture. Everyone else may distance themselves from the problem. You heard that quote. We were talking about it in the uh, practicum class this week, that Richard Dawkins quote about uh, the fact that it would, it's considered immoral to, to allow a Down syndrome baby to be born, uh, knowing what they will face in this life. And what do we as Christians say? Oh, no. That's God's special child. You see, we put extra value on these children, not lesser. In other words, we go out of our way to establish their significance, not the opposite. You see, we do not accept that sitting down. Is there not a cause? Don't touch that life. These are a special brand of life, of living people. And God puts them at the highest level of his caste system. And he says, all of you are servants unto them. In other words, in my caste system, these are the royalty. You serve them. And you will all gladly be the sentinels and the bodyguards. And if the bullets fly, all of you would rather go down to spare one of them. You know that God will spend us as the body to protect the weak? He will. That's what he does. Daddy, why don't we adopt Nika? That's the question that's lingered in my head all week. And I immediately turned it over to God, just the same way I've dealt with our other adoptions. And I recognize how impractical it is. I recognize that financially, yeah, we're not in a position to do that. I recognize that we still haven't even finished this adoption, and this one's nearly killed me. And Haiti, I don't really want to deal with Haiti again. No, that's not, that's not the discussion. Eric, would you be willing? How long, if the clock started ticking from the moment that question was asked by the Spirit of God, how long would it take me to say what we all know I need to say? You see, we all know the right answer to that question. But how long is it going to take Eric from the moment that question is asked to the moment he says, yes, Lord. There should not even be a tick. And yet, for many of us, <laughs> there's a lot of ticks. And we're hoping it will just go away, but it's a privilege to be asked. If God is asking, that's an honor. Don't let the ticks go by. The answer is yes. The voice of the coward. So, <clears throat> you want to adopt Nika? Uh, I'm not able to do that, so uh, no. You see, for prat all practical purposes, I could say that. And it would make total sense to any of you that know me. I, it's impractical. It is not an appropriate thing for me to be doing right now. The voice of the Christian. I'm not able, but God is able. So absolutely. You see, it's not based on my ability, based on what I have in my pockets, based on my thought patterns for it. It's if God asks me, my answer is yes. You know how many times I've said yes, and he hasn't actually followed through on saying, okay, that's what we're going to do. I've said yes to a lot of bizarre things that then got redirected. And God's almost like just keeping, like a rope, it needs to be kept taut and straight. God's just keeping me taut. Sort of like, here's another lion because I'm preparing you for something. And it's like, oh, and then I'm on guard. I'm watchful. 
And then he brings something in. I mean, that's, I could say that for Reese and Lily, that's exactly what was happening. I was wide awake and I was saying yes at that exact same time for something different. And then that didn't come through. And then suddenly we got asked, Eric and Leslie, would you adopt these two? Yes, we will. God's doing that sort of work in all of us. He's bringing lions and bears into our life to sharpen us and ready us when we're just delivering cheese and bread. That's all we're doing. We were just coming over here to deliver bread and cheese. Who is that uncircumcised Philistine? And suddenly, our answer is yes. We're ready. Overruling the cowardly voice. You ever notice the battle that we have? My question to you is, do you think that you are subservient and that you are a victim to that voice? That voice does not come from God, the voice of the inconvenience, the voice that is going to tell you all the reasons why you cannot follow the Spirit of God in this situation. I know the voice. The voice is human. It is just there. It is the flesh. It's always appealing to self's interests. I understand what this is. And I've heard it my entire life. And I'm here to tell you, overrule it. Annul it. Veto it. Every time, if it tries to stick any amendment in, veto, 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 veto. No, I will not heed anything you say. I only heed what the Word of God and the Spirit of God says in my life. And in this situation, I recognize that it seems insane. I I understand. My answer is yes. It's hard. And yet, it's a good heart. Except in the inconvenient assignment. The 100 orphans. If you've hung around Ellerslie for five years, you've heard me share this story. This is one of my favorites. Uh, This is in the days of the Nazis, the Jewish concentration camps. We're in Holland. This is Corey Tenboom, Betsy Tenboom's nephew named Peter. And he hears about the fact that the Nazis are going to exterminate 100 babies in a Jewish orphanage the next morning. So he overhears this, he finds out about it, so what does he do? What would any of us do? First of all, there's nothing we can do would be our first statement. I mean, what, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I just end up dying if I ever tried to do anything about it. You know what he did? This is amazing. They sneak in, I don't know where they did it, they snuck in and, and got some Nazi uniforms. So they stole some Nazi uniforms, dressed up as Nazi soldiers, and in the middle of the night went, and grabbed a hundred babies. What do you do with a hundred babies? I mean, that, this so overwhelms me. This story is so out of my comfort zone, I can hardly handle it. Okay, I have a hundred babies now. So I said yes to God. I have the most inconvenient situation I've ever heard of. You know that they're a dead giveaway? What happened to the hundred babies? Ah, they're crying over here. It's like, shh. How in the world? This is a, I don't know what he was, 17 years old or something? What's he going to do? You know what happened? These 100 babies were brought into 100 Christian homes by the next day. The church said yes. You see, if we had, and this is my question I asked it years ago, if we had 100 babies right now, would we be able to absorb them into this room? I'm not asking you to take 100, but you might need to take five. Some of the students here are like, how's this going to (laughs) work? Now, follow me in just a simple rationale to say, I can't do that. Every single one of us would have a reason. But my question is, they're going to be exterminated. Would you be willing to stand up and say yes? Well, the children are like for life. I know. Believe me, I've had that thought many times. 
Children don't go away. They're always there. Is your answer yes? Can we absorb the hundred into our church? Can we? I want to be a church that can absorb the hundred. It's that simple. Technically, I'd like to be a church that could absorb the thousand. But I think we need to work. I think we'd be better off if we said, can we be a church to absorb the Nika? The one. If we start there and we say yes, I think we can move to two and maybe up to a hundred. I'd like to get to a hundred faster though. I'd like God to train us in the lion and the bear. And as a church, I'd like to be a body that is united. And maybe Nika is supposed to be a part of this family. I don't know. I don't even know if she's adoptable. That's not the point. She's just a symbol. But maybe it's practical. And maybe someone in here is supposed to say, we'll do it. And then all the rest of us rally around and make it happen. I don't know. But I'm saying, are we willing? The seven boys in New York City. You know how the cross and the switchblade, David Wilkerson, how the story of Teen Challenge and all the great work that that, I mean, it's an extraordinary story. It's the most difficult of people groups, the gang members in New York. I mean, come on. Talk about inconvenient ministries. He is just a small town pastor in Pennsylvania. And he sees, he has given up all of his nightly news time. He used to watch the news from midnight to two every morning. Instead, God convicted him. He started using that time to pray. So he got rid of his TV and he started praying. And God began to speak to him. And one day he sees the newspaper and he sees, these, I think it was seven boys on trial, young boys, like teenagers on trial for a gruesome, brutal murder in New York City. And the Spirit of God is just saying, that's where the water goes. And he was like, how impractical is that? So we tried to get rid of it, and, but it just kept coming back. So the next thing you know, he tells his church, I need to go to New York City. And it began something that impacted my life. That ministry has so greatly impacted me. But it isn't, it isn't just the preaching of the ministry. It was the life that went to the low place and stayed in the low place. It's an extraordinary story. Are we willing to see that newspaper and say yes? Key idea number five, the power and the beauty of the inconvenient. We need to change out our dictionaries. If you open up your dictionary and look at the word inconvenient, you're not going to be attracted to it. And so I'm saying there's an earth dictionary and there's a heaven dictionary. I say let's swap out dictionaries. We always joke about uh, reading the 1828 dictionary here at Ellerslie. Well, how about even in the 1828 dictionary, you look up inconvenient, it's not going to be a healthy idea. In God's dictionary, you're going to see something completely different. So let's first look at the dictionary of this earth. Inconvenient. It's an adjective. means causing trouble. Difficulties or discomfort, awkward, difficult, inopportune, untimely, ill-timed, unsuitable, inappropriate, unfortunate, tiresome, troublesome, irritating, annoying, vexing, bothersome, aggravating. Sign me up. None of us is naturally attracted to that. That's why the word needs to be changed. Let's look at the heavenly dictionary. Inconvenience. Causing thrill. Leaps of joy or heavenly euphoria. That which strengthens, makes way for grace and reveals Christ's glory. That which is perfectly orchestrated, providentially planned, the circumstances through which the sovereign power of God are most manifest. Oh, we have an inconvenience. Praise God. How exciting is this? I get to know the grace of God at a greater level. Oh, you have chains around your wrists, Eric. Oh, but look at the music I can make with them. This is a different way of thinking, a different way of living. It's called Christianity. We are given strength. We are some of the most privileged Christians on earth today, and we have something to give. 
We have a dying world around us. We could choose two things. We could either choose to be like the American church in which we currently live, sit on our thumbs and think about ourselves, or we could be built strong to serve. And I choose the latter. I choose the second. I would rather have every single one of us die a martyr's death than have every one of us live to a ripe old age and do nothing. I want to see us enter the difficulty. I want to see us deliberately choose the uncomfortable. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.